Welcome to the Omni Gamers Club podcast, the podcast for games on every platform. I am Daniel Winter. And I'm back, folks. This is Mark USA. Welcome back. Been to uh, the, la- the land of the rising sun and not the board game. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I don't think I've played Rising Sun, the board game, but there, there's lots of games set in Japan. It had been a little while since I'd been, but I enjoy visiting Japan whenever I can. Excellent. Well, yeah, I'd love to hear more about your trip, and I'm sure you, there's some game-related thoughts you have on that. But uh, just quickly to flash back on our previous episode that you missed, we talked about Roland Rights with our friend Dennis. Uh, I was curious if you had any thoughts on the Roland Wright genre. I'm glad that you guys covered that topic because I'm not very versed in <laughs> Roland Rights. I, you know, I've played two or three course cartographers being uh, i think just a knockout in that genre i I think i played another one called silver and gold and i've played what is it welcome to before to be honest i've never really been captivated by roll and rights i i never really cottoned on to the roll and write fad i'm not inherently against it but I, i just find the um especially the highly sort of numerical ones, the the spreadsheet ones, I think, as you two called it. <laughs> During taxes. Uh, pre- yeah, pretty <laughs> uninteresting and pretty um, uninspiring. But if you ever pull out, uh, when we're playing in person and you pull out a roll and write that you recommend, then I'd certainly give it a shot. Yeah, well, there's certainly quite a wide variety within that subgenre. I, I just most recently got in the new Joan of Arc roll and write version of Orleon, which we, we covered recently. So I'm, I'm curious to to try that and compare it to our thoughts on the original. Yeah, I'm very interested in that. I guess I, what I'm trying to say is I'm interested in more narratively interesting ones, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I, I, do, I do prefer the ones that at least have that spatial element where you're filling in a space and have a little bit of creative agency. But uh, if, you, right. if you missed it, go listen to that podcast. <laughs> Thank you. It was fun. Excellent. Well, let's go to what's new. I think you'll be telling us a little bit about your time away. Uh, You know, I don't want to go at great length about it because it was just a family trip for me. Uh, I saw a lot of sites, but most of them were not game related. Uh, I have been sharing a few of the game findings that I I made uh, mostly on Instagram. So I'm at OmniGamerMark on Instagram. So I've shared some pics. I uh, acquired a bunch of games, but I also saw a lot more in the various uh, places that we visited. Uh, I guess the most specific game-related destinations I went to were Yellow Submarine in Akihabara. Mm-hmm. So Yellow Submarine is, to to my knowledge, one of the you know premier tabletop-oriented destinations. It also has other hobby things as well, like model kits and um, magic cards and things like that. But it carries uh, a lot of games, uh, CCG, uh, art, TTRPG, board game. Uh, you know, they have multiple aisles of games, is what I'm trying to say. And I've been to that one in Akihabara before. There's a dedicated tabletop role-playing wing of Yellow Submarine in 
Akihabara as well. And they also have some branches in other cities like Nagoya and Osaka. So if anyone is visiting Japan, uh, I would recommend checking those out. And uh, they have an interesting mix of familiar titles from Europe and North America that uh, you and I would uh, be familiar with. But they also have a lot, and I mean a lot, of really quirky, tiny card games and little itty-bitty boxed board games because they don't sell you boxes full of air in Japan. <laughs> Japanese, Japanese houses just won't fit them. So lots of little tiny games that are really wacky. So I, I bought a few of those, and I was very excited to see them. I'm vaguely familiar with some of the, the more popular uh, offerings from Japan. You've got the, the Oink games, uh, a, lot, a lot of trick-taking games, I believe. Like You can do a lot with just a, just a deck of cards, basically, and a lot of tweaks on that. I think uh, Tokyo Game Show is actually coming up soon, or, or just happened, at least. Uh, that, so there's uh, always some, some interesting uh, things there. So it's, it's fantastic to see the, the sort of the cleverness with what you can achieve with in a small box <laughs> basically right yeah Jap- uh, japanese games are interesting card games are a natural fit there you probably don't have a lot of households in japan with you know closets full or walls full of, of board games there's just no space for that so i think you were probably referring to the tokyo game market as opposed yes. to Tokyo Tokyo Game Show is for um, video games specifically. Of course, yes, yes. But, exactly. uh, you know, that, that's of interest to us as well. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to shout out a handful of the games that I picked up. I'm not. These are not reviews. These are not previews. I'm just going to list the titles because a lot of these are just brand new to me as well. I just had to grab them because they were either really interesting looking or affordable. So, from the Nintendo World Store in Shibuya, I picked up a uh, official licensed Nintendo copy of Hanafuda. Hanafuda is a traditional Japanese original card game, and the cards are postage stamp size, pretty much. And the deck is will fit into the palm of your hand. And uh, some of you may not be aware that Nintendo started off as a, a Hanafuda and playing card publishing company, among other things, before they picked up home console video games. It's absolutely beautiful. I'm looking forward to trying that game out. As, as I uh, am led to believe, Hanafuda is a sort of a set collection game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so similar I was to Mahjong. To, uh, no pun included, had a, a, a podcast recently. They were discussing it because uh, Pencil First, uh, an American publisher, but just put out a, uh, a Hanafuda deck. I think it just fulfilled from Kickstarter quite recently. And I've actually seen, I think, on Nintendo's front, they ha- on the online marketplace, you can actually like use points to redeem a Hanafuda deck there. So you don't need to go all the way to Japan to get one if, that, if that's of interest to you. If you're there and you're lazy like me, then you can just <laughs> pick one up from the shelf. Speaking of Oink, I did pick up a copy of Nine Tiles Panic, which I know is mm. readily available over here. But uh, just the artwork is so cute. All the games I picked up, by the way, did have uh, English translations uh, included or English rules included. So with my weak Japanese, uh, I, I don't have to rely on that. <laughs> Uh, so there's a copy of Nine Tiles Panic, the original. I did pick up a Japanese edition of... Akihisa Okui's One Night Werewolf. Of course, One Night Werewolf is available in various formats, but I picked this one up specifically for the artwork, which is, I can't show you on the audio format here, (laughs) but it has this fantastic, well, it's the size of like a a deck of playing cards, essentially. Mm -hmm. Uh, The artwork is very pixelated, like, you know, Dragon Quest, like an 8-bit original Nintendo 
entertainment system game. So uh, I just love I just love that artwork, and I just had to pick that up. Moving right along, there's another game that uh, Westerners might be aware of is Before the Guests Arrive. It's a game by designer Sashi mm, and yes. art, art by Takako Takarai, which uh, might be familiar to some as, um, you know, I think it's like that same artist as and designer as that Waiting for the Elevator or something like that. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I, I just was interested in that designer and the art looks great. I picked up Yura Yura Penguin, and Yura Yura <laughs> means wobble, 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 I guess. And it's uh, indicated as a card game plus dexterity game. So, I don't know, I guess, like, what is that, like, Rhino Tower game or whatever? You're, what you're, a, what you're, a hero. Yeah. Yeah. So, you're stacking up a tower, and the artwork just looks fantastic. And It, it, uh, sounds, I just it sounds adorable, I imagine. It actually oh, is yeah. <laughs> it certainly is. I'll, I'll uh, post some more pics of these on Instagram once I open them up. I picked up this another small box game. It's a card game, but uh, the artwork looks really great. Cutesy anime style. It's called Fellowships of Fate. Uh, it's by Y wy games and the design artist is takeru if you're aware of that uh, of course it's got english rules in there and it's just it's just a box full of cards and some tokens but it looks like uh, some a dungeon delving sort of game a cheap game less than 20 bucks i just had to pick that up it looked kind of cool a couple more uh last two games i'm going to mention i picked up on a whim as well from daiso so some folks huh. uh, in, in North America and otherwise might be familiar with Daiso. It's yeah. like a Japanese dollar store, essentially, chain. But it's got a, a pretty broad reach, and they have bespoke games there. Hmm. Uh, and I- these, these two games I picked up have interesting themes. Uh, one of them is called Yokoso Crane-e. Which basically means welcome to Crane or, or AKA Crane game. Oh, like cool. one of those okay. UFO catcher themed uh-huh. uh, theme uh, as the artwork presents. And basically, you're trying to catch snacks and sweets out of a crane game. Uh, I have no idea what this is about, but it cost about a dollar. So, uh, right, that, that is a cute theme. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the last one I'm going to mention is called Neko Cheese o Ubae. Which means, uh, which the translation is "get the cat cheese," <laughs> and it's sex? about it's a card game about cats and cheese. So who can resist that? Uh, and that was another dollar game from Daiso. Excellent! I'll have to look that up, and I'll have to drop by our local Daiso here and see if they're carrying any of these. Out of curiosity. On a side note, this is not a game, but at, also at the Nintendo World store, I found a. Metroid themed thermos, and it looks like a Metroid energy capsule. And oh. I'm, it's really this lush metallic, just object of art. And I'm so thrilled to, to try drinking coffee out of this. <laughs> so I'll put another pickup of that on Instagram. Sounds like an awkward shape to drink out of. Maybe I'm picturing the wrong type of consumable in that game. I, yeah, it's, I guess it's more like um, Samus's like arm cannon that might oh, be what it's okay. based on. Okay. But it, it looks pretty cool anyway, so I'll share that soon enough. Excellent. Okay. Yeah, yeah so that's I'm, my I'm, whirlwind tour of games I got in Japan. I'll have to make time to, uh, to marathon through some of those small box games. Yeah, I'll bring them over next time we, we meet for games. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, what's news for me is I uh, wanted to talk briefly that the uh, Citizen Sleeper game that we covered 
I imagine about a year ago because it just had its one year anniversary. It is it has a, a sort of crowdfunding campaign right now for this deluxe edition. I don't think it includes the game for what it's worth, but it includes a whole bunch of uh, paraphernalia for the game that includes like an art book and some accessories. But of most note, I was quite curious to note that it has a tabletop RPG included. Perhaps not a, a huge stretch, considering that there were that dice played a part of that game. There were, you were constantly rolling dice in, in that. Somewhat abstracted to the actions you were taking. But this is a, a basically a, a solo TTRPG using a deck of tarot cards. So I haven't, I haven't looked too deeply into the mechanics of it. But I, 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 the more I thought about it, the more I, I, I thought it is quite fitting for this. Uh, that... It's a very heavy sci-fi, very very interesting setting with a lot of sci-fi quirks, but also a lot of focus on sort of community and relationship building and solidarity. That would be some excellent themes to explore. I mean, by yourself, obviously, it's it's not with other people. I I would have loved to actually see a, a. multiplayer version of this, but I, I'm I'm tempted to check this out. I've not played a solo. TTRPG before, but this sounds quite fascinating. Yeah, I think that's a natural fit. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, so I, if, if anyone's interested, that is currently on Lost in Cults, which is not a crowdfunding site I'm familiar with, but that's where it is. <laughs> okay, so uh, for this episode, we'll have our featured game coming up shortly, but first, let's talk about what else we've been playing. Sure. I guess I'll start us off. I got a couple of games I've been playing. Uh, one game uh, I picked up just out of a whim, I think during the Golden Week sale, which is Golden Week is a Japanese holiday, was called Little Noah, Scion of Paradise. Are you familiar with this game? I have never heard of it. <laughs> yeah, it, I think it's totally under the radar. Uh, I played it, I got it off Steam. So of course, it's a PC game. Perfect fit for the Steam Deck or uh, any, it's a side-scrolling action RPG, uh, but it's an action roguelite. So um, it's hmm. sort of like a cross between Rogue Legacy, which is one of my personal faves, and um, kind of qualities of Pikmin. Oh. Because you collect these little helper dudes <laughs> who are called Lilliputs. So you are the titular Noah, who's uh, uh, just like this, um, you know, kind of a, like a knight character, cutesy anime style, fly on an airship, and you just <laughs> basically fight monsters and collect gems. It has this lovely 2D, 2.5D art style. It's totally side-scrolling, except the characters and the backgrounds are, are 3D rendered. So it has a very simplistic but lush uh, aesthetic to it has that addictive gameplay loop. I have not gotten very far, but I think it's absolutely charming. So uh, I would recommend that one based on my limited hours playing it. Yeah, I'm just looking at some screenshots now. It's actually reminding me a lot of uh, Maple Story, the, the art style. That very vibrant, green, <laughs> uh, platforming 
game. Interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm it's, curious how the uh, the the managing little people, little dudes, <laughs> how that plays in a, a it's, side. It's scroller. fun. It's it's really fun because you can level up each of them, and you don't really know which ones you're going to collect over the course of a run. You always start with the initial three, which are like the weakest ones, but each of them can be leveled up repeatedly and upgraded and they gain new abilities. And you don't have traditional weapons in this game. You only have the Lilliputs. So when you press the attack button, you launch out the initial Lilliput that you have sort of chosen to be in the first slot. And you can line up five of them and they form your sort of I guess deck, if you want to think about it that way. Huh. And then you can assign additional Lilliputs to two other special actions. And they all attack in a different way. Some are close, some are vertical attacks, some are distance-based attacks. And it's really fascinating. Like it's it's kind of like a programmable action RPG. Would, would, um, would so you like to like a, a Pokemon? Like it sounds like it's like a roguelike Pokemon, basically. <laughs> I, I guess you could call it that way. Yeah, you do have like a you know like a, a deck of creatures that you launch out, but it's totally real time. This is not huh. uh, menu based whatsoever. Whatsoever, and it's a platformer too. So it borrows heavily upon well tread ground of the action roguelite, but it has just enough unique aspects to it and a heck of a lot of charm the artwork is super wholesome uh it, it kind of has that kind of kirby-esque fantasy mm. art style to it like everything looks like it's molded out of clay like <laughs> a, a lot of that like kirby-esque and even like yoshi's woolly world kind of bubbly aspect to it so uh, i think you know maybe slightly older kids who are, are, you know, at least dexterous enough to play a, a kind of tough action game would really get a kick out of this. Excellent. Yeah, I, I, it's completely slipped my radar. So I'll, I'll take a close look at that. Yeah, I uh, like it. Meanwhile, I so you've been in Japan, which is obviously quite known for gacha, gacha. I think exactly. Sure yeah, both, both are acceptable. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, a, a, a hot new. Gasha game has just launched Honkai Star Rail. So this is by Mihoyo, the developer yeah. of Genshin Impact, which is a huge game. I, I I tried that briefly, bounced off of it. It was very it was ambitious how much it played like Breath of the Wild. It was an right. open world game that you could play on, on your on your phone. So it was hugely ambitious for that had a great reputation. I just never had a chance to really dig in. Uh, and so I saw this getting some very early hype, decided to jump in early and am enjoying it so far. I, I've not spent any money on it. I don't entirely understand the, the pool system, I will say, but it was a surprisingly linear game. So this is not like Genshin at all. It is a linear RPG uh, playing through a, a storyline, going to between different planets. But you do have some side options. There's a lot of side quests. There's a whole roguelike sort of run-based side mission that you can do uh, as much as you want. There's some other side dungeons that you can do. The gameplay, it, it plays a lot like... Persona is the comparison. It doesn't... I mean, it, it's, it's a, a turn-based RPG, really. I don't know it's, it's specifically Persona, more so than anything else. Each character having particular elemental affinities uh, that counter particular weaknesses on the enemies certain certain and each character also having an archetype as to whether they buff or they debuff or they heal or they 
multi-target or single target. So all the tech characters are quite granular in terms of what they're best at. And so you can kind of zero in on, on what you want and, and min-max, assuming you actually get the, the build you want. At least early on, you're gonna have very limited options as to what characters you have. You can obviously spend money on more if you like, but I, I, I've just, you get a bunch of freebies as, as you would assume. And I've got a, a decent lineup with a, with a few options that I've been alternating between. The combat isn't particularly engaging. Like at the moment, it's I've mostly just been letting it autoplay. It's just basically it's very light, light match up the the weaknesses and everything will die. And then the only interesting the only way it's gotten any more difficult is basically via bullet sponges. So I'm not finding the combat particularly interesting, but it's incredibly stylish. The animation is amazing for a mobile game. A lot of like custom animation like every character has their own animations and and cut scenes when they ultimate obviously uh but the story is surprisingly well written all the all the characters are very tropey but well developed i'm actually like quite enjoying how how much nuances to the characters and there's like you get little snippets each each day you log in and one of the one of, one of the characters will like send you a little sms and so there's this good sense of rapport between all of the characters uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm quite enjoying that so far. I'm pretty early in the story. It, it sort of gates you to to level up, and so I've just been exploring some of the side content. But there's a, a lot to explore in this game, like a lot of a lot of different ways to engage with it, whether it's the story or the roguelike, or just 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 pull, pulling that that gacha lever. <laughs> yeah, I saw them advertising Honkai Star Rail in Tokyo while I was there last oh, month bet, in, a- yeah. in April. They had, you know, multi-story banners uh, festooned <laughs> throughout Akihabara and then the train stations uh, thereabouts, which is where you know, all their advertising is. I have played Star Rail, but it sounds like less than you. So I'm going to reserve my opinion on it, except to say that it feels, uh, it, it, it looks highly polished, but it also feels quite dated it feels almost retro in um how you know sort of the minimal the game play is mechanically um it's it's not really innovating in a big way so uh I'll, i'd probably rather keep playing uh going back to persona 5 uh like you 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 mm. um you uh, made the comparison there I, I feel like the world of persona and the characterizations and the style and the mechanisms are all much more polished in that so personal choice i'd probably rather go go back to that and it's on game pass but yeah it feels kind of like a little dry running down those samey looking corridors yeah kinda like a a game from like 15 years ago like a <laughs> like a knights of the old republic or like a mass effect one or or, or two you know but uh, hey it looks really nice so uh, I, I i will give them praise for that it is very linear. There is a lot of a lot of cutscenes early on. There's it's surprisingly how little much how little gameplay there is. It's just cut, jumping from cutscene to cutscene to cutscene. It does open up over time and start layering on some more mechanics. I, I still don't think the combat is particularly deep, but I, I don't know that that's the pull here. <laughs> really, like I said, there, there is an autoplay. So I just I, I I can sort of log in while I'm at work, hit autoplay, and have it run through my daily missions for me. Uh, and cool. Just, Talk to the character some more. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's a nice diversion. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'm, I'm very curious to see how this develops over time, at least. Because I know you know Genshin had a lot of uh, additions over time. Content and new characters, obviously. So, yeah, keep, keep an eye on, on that. 
Cool. I'm going to mention a game that I've only played a couple of hours of recently, but it's called Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3. I've played the first couple of entries sparingly in the in the past. They're quite old, though. Uh, this one's relatively new. Play, I played it on the Switch. It's sort of a squad-based action RPG. Basically, I think you always run with four characters. And apropos of the latest Marvel film release, you start off the game as the Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> so you control Star-Lord, Gamora, Drax, and then Groot and Rocket are kind of one character. Of oh, course, <laughs> Rocket's riding on Groot's shoulder. But you can embody any of them. Each of them can be upgraded individually. They have their own bespoke attack types. But I really like the over-the-shoulder kind of almost Diablo-like mm. um, quality to it. But um, I, I'm just getting a taste of this, and it's giving me warm flashbacks to uh, another action RPG that I loved, absolutely adored, called Marvel Heroes. It was basically like Diablo, except characters across the Marvel Universe and just these incredible power-ups and equipment <laughs> that you could load up, just like over-the-top OP character characters that you could load out with. Such fun. Was it the online one? Marvel it was Heroes? the online one. Yes. Yeah. Designed, yeah, I like a little bit of that. Yeah. Right. Designed by some Blizzard alums, mm-hmm. some Diablo alums. Right. Excellent. So uh, uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance, I'll keep on playing it for a little bit uh, just to see some additional characters. But uh, yeah, it's it's um, it's it's a, another fun diversion. I'm enjoying it. I'm curious how it plays managing multiple characters as as solo like how, how easy is it to switch between like it, it's as, as a three, the characters it's super playing, smooth like on ai most of the time yeah exactly that's exactly what's going on you're only controlling one character at a time uh of course you control the 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 camera with the with your right stick and you're controlling the movement with your left stick and then the left d-pad i guess the the primary d-pad if you can call it that on the switch is used to switch between the characters and it's instantaneous and you're it's it's remarkably integral that you switch between the characters you're like Hmm. even if you have a favorite in a squad like like the guardians uh you're gonna need to swap between all of them and then pretty closely uh, which is easy to do thankfully uh the first boss battle with against ronin spoilers the redeemer or whatever he's called i definitely had to switch between the characters in a tight way to kind of lower his like shielding and then come in for swaps uh, uh at the right time and then kind of counter his his build-up attacks so i thought it was pretty intense and uh played very smoothly so i'm happy with what they have so far excellent i've, I've heard good things about that unfortunately it is only available on switch yeah, that's right. But, um, you know, lots of people have Switch, so um, <laughs> I, I just borrowed it uh, from the library, but hopefully Ooh, you can get access to a copy yourself. I, I might just check the library. Okay, Very well, cool. let's, let's jump to the board game table. <laughs> uh, so I have been playing my very first Lacerda game. A friend decided to to splurge his, uh, his tax refund on his first Lacerda, so we did a bit of research on what a good starting point would be and of course decided to to pick the the most complex of of the complex games uh we chose on mars so i've played this a couple of times this last week it's a, it's a game that like if you're gonna t- if you're gonna go to the effort of learning it may as well play it more than once to, to, to really get those those rules in so this is a 
ostensibly a worker placement game. The most fascinating element is that you, you I mean you're colonizing Mars as as you would assume from the from the title. You split between two locations though. There's the basically in orbit. There's several actions you can do in orbit, like that's collecting technologies and blueprints and some uh, what few resources you were able to ship. So basically a lot of prep work and research. And then you, there's on the surface where you're going to be building the physical structures, upgrading those structures, moving the rovers and the robots around to collect resources. So the trick being is that you can only ever be in one of these locations at once. And there's a shuttle that travels between them like every couple of turns. And if you, if you want to go to the other location, you have to A, wait for a shuttle and then jump on at the right time. And as the game goes on, that shuttle takes longer and longer. So you could be, by the end of the game, you might be waiting five or six turns for your next opportunity to ship. So there's really a lot of planning ahead here to make sure you have enough workers because your workers only refresh when you travel, basically. There's a a few exceptions, a a little bit of wiggle room there, but largely you're having to plan ahead and make sure you've got enough resources to last you until that shuttle's coming back. So you're really dynamic and engaging planning there it's quite tricky it's quite easy to fall into traps in terms of running out of resources and having to to wait around for that shuttle to come back but it's again not not much player interaction but it is very dynamic sort of ecosystem it's not a player driven economy but you sort of all controlling this ecosystem and the the similar to terraforming mars ironically enough that that you're pushing up all these certain thresholds that's that's collectively making things easier or difficult for everyone. So yeah, I'm 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 quite enjoying that so far. Very tricky, but when you do find that one solution to to really figure your way out of the the hole you've worked yourself into, you really do feel like um the Martian, Matt Damon in the Martian, and sort of scienced your way out of this like, with extremely slim chances. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, I um also unfamiliar with Vital Lacerda games. I uh, they, they all look absolutely fascinating. And of course, I've heard the hearsay about how complex and engaging and in-depth all of uh, Lacerda's games are. But On Mars is certainly the one that looks the most attractive to me. Uh, I love space colonization themes in games. And uh, Mars is, is, is um, like my namesake, uh, always fascinating <laughs> me. So I would love to play that game. Yeah, I mean, as with most of the the newer versions of Vital Asada's games with Eagle Griffin, it's amazing graphic design by Ian O'Toole with beautiful sort of very minimalistic illustrations, but really helpful iconography. Everything's sort of it helps it helps you learn the game with with how logically everything is laid out a couple of things are aren't entirely consistent but largely it's all very clean and and beautifully illustrated so yeah re- really enjoying that that's on mars from vital Lacerda. i am also uh learning a new game to me it's uh one of the newest games out on board game arena by a very familiar game designer, Uwe Rosenberg. The game is called uh, Applejack, I believe. And this game is it's fairly abstract. It's, it's essentially about, I don't know, apple picking or some such nonsense. It's about apples and beehives. And this game is surprising in the fact that it seems like, it seems so much like 
a Knizia game. It, 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 the, the theme is like, no, is really slapped on. <laughs> it's basically math. It's yeah, it looks very got, light and abstract from the, the photos it's, here. It's super abstract. It's just a grid of hexes. And then on the hexes are either varietals of apples or beehives. And the apples are probably really colorblind unfriendly, would be my guess. Uh, I'm not colorblind, so that, that's only my assumption. But they're even hard to distinguish for someone with without color uh, deficiencies. So it just seems about matching up numbers and then scoring multipliers. So if you like Knizia games, then <laughs> you're probably going to enjoy this one. If you I like apples. <laughs> if you like those. I haven't even gotten through an entire game, so I'm going to hold off on my opinions about the quality of the game. But it's uh, super dry, kind of like a very dry <laughs> apple cider. Uh, but hey, it could be great. Excellent. Well, I'll, I'll take a look on uh, Board Game Arena. Very cool. Maybe we can play a two-player game. Excellent. Let's take a look. Uh, which I think we'll actually be talking about some more Uwe Rosenberg a little later. But for now, I think that's it for the playlist. Why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back with our featured game. Let's do it. So the game we're covering today is called Minecraft Legends. It's developed by Mojang or Omoyang Studios, however you want to call it, originators of uh, Minecraft and Blackbird Interactive. Another another local institution fulfilling our our Canadian uh, made content here. <laughs> it's CanCon, right? Yes. Got to get that Canadian <laughs> content quotient up. So it was also then published by Xbox Game Studios and available on Switch, PlayStation, Xbox, Windows, pretty much the, the, the full gamut there. So, yeah, so this is, a, as you would imagine, set in the, the Minecraft universe. It's I mean, a bit hard to avoid that, that, that the, the influence of the Minecraft sort of universe. I was literally at the, at the library today. Went to check the catalog, and some kid had been searching for Minecraft books. <laughs> so, yeah, it was the original Minecraft game. It I mean, must be out for, well, I mean, well over a decade, if not close to two decades now. There was a couple of years ago was an, the first spin-off Minecraft Dungeons, which was kind of a Diablo sort of a- action RPG, and now we have a sort of Minecraft take on real-time strategy. Well, uh, I hate to pull an um actually on you, but I believe <laughs> one of the earlier spinoffs to oh, Minecraft was one. Minecraft Story Mode. I think that was a the Telltale oh, it? game. It's a Telltale yeah. game, right? Yeah. Um, which I didn't play, so I can't comment on. Well, but, you can play uh, it on Netflix now, apparently. Hey, that's cool. So yeah, I think it out. has <laughs> Patton Oswalt or something voicing one of the characters. That sounds about right. Yeah. There you go. So there, there's. I feel like there's a bunch of spinoffs, and I was actually confused when you mentioned Minecraft Legends because I thought, hey, didn't that spinoff come out a while ago? <laughs> uh, it just kind of has a generic sounding name. It's not uh, particularly evocative, I will say. Yeah, right. Uh, but so I, I figured we should talk about you know the the, the elephant in the room. The, the the original game is, is sort of looms over this. Uh, we did have a, a a question that sort of can lead into that. So oh, cool. Kyle from Give. 
Paws Hobby uh, says, I need to get back to Legends. I played a little bit, but the majority of my block cred is with OG Minecraft. What's yours first Minecraft memory. Mine's the classic hole in the ground to survive the night in early beta and losing a whole day to making a buggy minecart system. If you know, you know. <laughs> so, have you had the the hole in the ground experience? The the sort of in, in, initiation, right? <laughs> you know what? I'm embarrassed to say that my Minecraft experience is very limited. I actually heard about Minecraft. Before it sort of blew up, uh, you know, as an indie rock band, basically, I was I was in there before uh, all, all it hit mainstream. I got the beta or something like that way back, and then I played about twenty minutes of it, and then I I totally dropped it. I didn't know what the big appeal was. Uh, perhaps being the old one that I am, uh, I just was too old to catch on to the initial craze. I missed Minecraft. I missed Pokemon just kind of aged out of it. So my experience is limited to being a, a parent of a young kid who has played a decent amount of Minecraft, and I've certainly watched them play a bunch. Yeah, my, my daughter's about to hit that prime age now, so I'm, I'm sure I'll be experiencing a lot more of this in, in the years to come. I, I have played a little bit over the years. I've bounced off somewhat by partly the opaqueness of the mechanics which which we can discuss a little more later in, in relation to legends but also just the the level of creativity isn't r- really what drives me in a game i would say I, I really need a little more clear clearer guidance like you just you give me a box of legos and no instructions i have no idea what to do <laughs> right and we should further clarify that even their original minecraft is kind of two games right what it, uh, and kind of three games, if you really think about it. The survival two, mode and creative mode, I guess. That's right. right? Those are yeah. the two main, two main sort of uh, channels uh, upon which it plays. I think the original game was certainly uh, based on uh, survival and crafting. It was one of the earlier 3D survival crafting games, certainly. And the creative mode came later, uh, I understand. And to be quite honest, knowing my kid kid and how they play uh basically they own they never play survival mode they only play creatively hmm. uh, like that box of legos like you were saying so <laughs> i don't think they have a lot of experience with the, the survival i think it sort of gives them anxiety and maybe that's just my kid but you know i don't know if most youngins are rarely into the survive or die sort of <laughs> genre of gameplay. And then the third sort of game that I, I'm, I'm alluding to, and this is just a personal opinion, is it's sort of like a, a little bit of a mini, mini MMO or like an online chat room. Like kids play it on their tablet right. or their home console just to kind of talk and chat and catch up with each other. Basically what Fortnite is now. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Like they're they're not even pursuing any particular goals other than like, hey, let's build a little treehouse or let's build a little fort over here, um, and it's just a place to for people to young people or people of all ages to socialize. I guess that's one yeah. Way well, you can speaking call it. Of, of of memories, I think that's the main one that sticks out for me is actually playing this with like, like, like a couple of years later, I ended up playing this with a couple of friends, and we had like, as a group, you you sort of developed these 
common goals that gives you a clearer sense of what you're working towards. Uh, so I think we, we were mapping out like the world and I, I got a lot of fun out of just exploring and we're doing like this, this map wall and cartography and actually exploring in this game. That game was surprisingly strong for a procedurally generated game. But uh, not to dwell too much on Minecraft, <laughs> uh, let, let's talk a little bit about Minecraft Legends. Right. So this game uh, you alluded to is an RTS game, a real-time strategy game, as opposed to uh, Minecraft Dungeons, which is an action RPG. But this game is third person for one. It's not first person. Like, well, I guess the original Minecraft can is optionally first person, right? You can play it first person or third person I think if you wish. I think it's mostly first person. Yeah. <laughs> sure. But this one is distinctly third person. It's, it's, as you'll discover pretty soon, it's also an open world game, or at least it is in the, the main campaign mode, it seems. So it's an open world third person action RTS, which stands for, of course, real time strategy game. Yeah, and it's played in almost like a campaign, not in the sense of a series of missions, but that you're dropped in a world, you're given a procedurally generated world that will have a bunch of villages spawned on it randomly, a bunch of piglin fortresses. So piglins are the sort of demonic bad guys in here. They'll have fortresses procedurally generated across the world. And you'll have this campaign that's sort of procedurally generated that you'll basically have to clear the map to, to clear out the, the, the piglin outposts to defend the villages. And it will take some time to work towards that with leveling up your, your capabilities until you can take on the strongest, the, 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 the biggest strongholds. But it's, it's all like one big campaign map you're not you're not jumping between particular levels it's just like the open world you're running around defending it as as in whatever order you particularly feel like other than the levels of the, the fortresses basically yeah i was actually pretty surprised by that you know there, there's a pretty heavy-handed tutorial that the game starts with mm. which is of course narrowly focused and you know there's a whole lot of exposition and narrative that's set up there but pretty soon you're presented with the open world and i i did, had no idea that it would be like that i, I guess I... my experience is pretty old school in that <laughs> you know like even blizzard rpg uh rts's have pretty distinctive level-based separation right like mm, yes starcraft uh three or whatever the latest one is it's you know this this mission and you're this set up and you're this mission and you're gonna go over here soldier or something like that or this mission and you, you know it there, it's very clearly split up between levels but i yeah. was surprised and kind of um, interested to see that they just opened it right up in this it, game. It feels like the sort of the, the the zoomed out version of I think Total War, at least Total War Hammer. I I, I know has that sort of map level where you you, you see the, the 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 zoomed out map and you're sort of managing things on on that zoomed out level before you zoom in and do the the individual battles. But this is just the the whole map as one big level that you play it might be i think i, I think the we, I, neither of us finished this game but i think the quote was something like 15 to 20 hours to play through this campaign on this map basically but you, you mentioned tutorialization which i think is a is an interesting point because especially in how the original game was not tutorialized at all there is nothing in minecraft to tell you what to do you just dropped in there with nothing but your fists and a bunch of trees to punch <laughs> uh and it, 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 it's this fascinating sort of folk knowledge around trying to, to figure out this game. Like obviously you can just look up wikis, but 
kids just have absorbed this information. Even kids who've never played the game just know how Minecraft works by osmosis, basically. But this this does have a tutorial, a pr pretty distinct one, like it, it, you know, like a, a, a virtual space you're taken away to to run through these mechanics, and then it sort of drip feeds you some mechanics once you get to your main world but at some point that just ends it's not particularly clear when but once you've given it you've given a couple of clear goals and then it just like okay go go ahead do do the rest of the game and it's not really clear what i'm supposed to be doing at this point like okay i have this map there's a bunch of villages on it there's a bunch of strongholds on it uh what what, what now <laughs> Yeah, I want to uh, mention that there are some unique characters to this game. I know that Minecraft doesn't really have characters per se in the OG one other than Steve, and then there's Alex, I think, is uh, are a couple of the main characters. And of course, there's the there's the enemies and the, the mobs, the, the those guys, of course. But this game has three distinctive sort of, I guess you could call them helper characters. Advisors, that, I guess? Yeah, certainly. They're sort of like demigods, I guess. And what are they? They have very ostentatious names like For foresight, foresight, action, and knowledge. Right. Very, very <laughs> big, uh, epic, expansive concepts for a, a kiddie game. It doesn't necessarily feel like it's relevant to the mind. Like, it doesn't really say much about Minecraft, um, the, the, those terms. <laughs> Certainly. And and I actually kind of like their character designs. Oh, yeah. Um, they have very distinctive, um, you know, body shapes. And they're not really anthropomorphic very much. They're kind of like blobs and rods and cubes they're blocks uh, <laughs> yeah they're made up of blocks like everything in my in the minecraft world is and like minecraft og this is voxel based and you know they're cute you know they're they're mm -hmm. cute interesting designs good voice acting yeah yeah good strong voice acting although very cheesy mm -hmm. they're all very exasperated or all very mock worried that piglins are attacking and the the piglins are also, I don't know what you say, they're super generic. Yeah. Even though generic and cutesy and I guess like uninspired. Yeah, I it's surprising anyway. how much, like you have all of these tr classic Minecraft enemies to pull upon. Instead, you're just fighting these hordes of, of piglins. I mean, there, there, there are variations. There's like slightly bigger ones and elite ones, but they're all just variations on pig demons. It, right. It's, and so you're not, you know you're what not... they're, you know what they're trying to do, right? They're, they're trying to do a grand epic fantasy story like your Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and these piglins are the orcs and they're supposed to be, or, you know, they're like the Urukai or whatever from from uh, Game of Thrones or something. I don't even know if that's actually the same <laughs> universe. <laughs> no, Urukai is from Lord of the Rings. They're like, I don't know, like the whatever hordes from Game of Thrones or something like that. But you can't do something so hardcore in a game that's oriented primarily, let's let's face it, towards kids. You yeah. got to do something cutesy. So I immediately felt a super strong tone conflict in mm -hmm. this in this world in this narrative basically they're trying to set it up so that it's super dramatic and sweeping and epic but everything looks cutesy and the stakes are not really profound because 
you you don't die or or yeah. whatever. And the villagers all, all look the same. Uh, there's not really a, any direct threat, at least early on. It's just there are some piglins roaming around doing bad things, I guess. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, the, the the world is just, it's not deep whatsoever. It's it's like, you know, a centimeter. it's procedurally generated, yeah. Yeah, it just seems like that the, they're trying to go for this big sweeping thing, and I think they just didn't land it in terms it was, of the, the tone. It is quite clever how they're utilizing those classic enemies. Like you've got your skeletons, your creepers, and your zombies. Those classic, pretty, pretty classic designs. And you actually, you can, you, they work with you. So the, 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 the classic enemies are now working with you to fight back these piglins. But there's only those three. So A, there's a lot of other Minecraft enemies that are just not utilizing whatsoever. Uh, that you could have done a lot more and have had more variety, like more had more varied options to fight. Had they had all of the all of the original enemies included, rather than just throwing in one or two. I'm not sure whether they're going to be adding more later, but it's yeah, somewhat limiting. You only see quite a, a f- such a small subset of what you originally found in the original Minecraft. And it, yeah, it's strange again, a strange tone in that now, now the the enemies that you used to be fighting are now working with you to to fight back these invaders, and it makes it makes me really have this moment of were we the baddies in Minecraft? Were we colonizing this land, and they were all just fighting? They were just defending their, their their home. Yeah, a little bit of like weird whiplash sense is like I guess they're trying. It's like Minecraft flavor. Lord of the Rings super super light I guess is the feel I got but you know it's just the sort of there it's set dressing right mm-hmm. so you know I don't mind it I just try and put it out of my mind that, that that's what they're trying to do other than those three helpers those sort of guardian guide type characters there's not is there any talking those are the only people that talk right those no, are the your only characters voiced don't characters talk. the monsters and piglins don't talk it's, it's a lot of slapstick like the cutscenes. i mean it's it's like there's a lot of cutscenes with the piglins fighting over their battle plans and things and it's a, it's very like again as you said earlier cheesy for, for ki- like it doesn't do a lot for me. It's sort of a little repetitive, but for kids, it's it's very cutesy sort of slapstick humor, and then I, I, there there is some charm to that, and it, and it all looks very good. So I should say as well, like despite the the blocky nature, it is all very well animated and lit. So very beautiful lighting in this game, uh, I will say, with with uh, those blocks. <laughs> yeah, it certainly looks colorful. Uh, and attractive, but I, I found the cutscenes a little hard to follow. The action very busy, <laughs> very very busy, and it doesn't help that in addition to the you know sometimes hundreds of characters that are on screen at a time, there's kind of these like warpy kind of spacey filters going on a lot of them yeah, because yeah, you're looking through and- a portal. Or yeah. something, and it was quite hard to follow uh, the narrative, especially without words. And I only mentioned this because it's in high contrast to some of the older, other block-based um, franchises that are out there oriented towards kids, such as the Lego games. Mm-hmm. And the Lego games, is, right, which yeah. of course have also been going on for a couple decades at this point now, from not Telltale, but Tra- Traveler's Tales? Traveler's T- Tales, that's right. Something yeah. like that. TT. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Until recently, all of those games had voiceless cutscenes. And I thought that the quality of those have always been impe- impeccable. Yeah. 
very easy to read, very easy to follow, absolutely charming, mm-hmm. and they are successful in the fact that they carry the story along, especially in worlds that you're already familiar with, like Batman, Star Wars, Wars, Lord of the Rings, what have you. Uh, You always know exactly what's going on, I I guess, because, I don't know, they, they they lack those kind of spacey spacey graphical filters i guess lego lego characters are (laughs) sort of easier to distinguish as opposed to a a a whole you know myriad of voxels but i thought it was interesting to compare those two kind of kid game franchises uh for their narrative cutscenes. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good comparison. I I, I I do think that it, it is interesting technology here, the way they're utilizing the, the, these these blocks. The block technology has advanced quite a long way. But I don't I don't know that it's particularly readable, especially with the perspective being so zoomed out. It, it just everything just ends up feeling very flat. So you're not really getting like zoomed in when you're first person. Like each each block matters. Now you're just zoomed out, and it's just a muddle of blocks that aren't particularly readable. Yeah, that's that's a good point. You do have that distinction between the uh, zoomed in uh, narrative cutscenes and then the zoomed out overworld. Of course, you can zoom in on the overworld as well. And, you know, I think the main characters are actually, I guess they're really just skins, right? The, the <laughs> 10, or, 10 or so skins that you s- start with are, are actually quite attractive. I thought mm-hmm. they, they're designed nicely. They're colorful. They're diverse. Oh, yep. And they're, they're cute. I, I, I like them a lot. Um, but you know you don't really see them that closely because they're just you know under a helmet you're seeing the back of them riding on your horse or whatever your mount whatever you start with yeah well let's and, talk a little bit about the combat sure so on one hand you you, you are building in in this game building defenses to to defend the villages that that's all very simple and dynamic you have a set you have like preset buildings that you can just plop down you have walls that you can just drag and drop basically and like Click on the start point, click on an end point, and they'll dynamically build for you. So it's not it's not particularly fiddly. I found that all pretty seamless. Like you can build ramps to get up to high spots. That was all I, I did enjoy all of that element. Then you've got your soldiers. So with the soldiers, you, you have these sort of nameless little cube, I don't, cubes. I don't know what they're called, but there's like a few archetypes. That is one is the stone guy that just punches buildings. There's the the wooden right. guys that. Uh, archers basically right. and they're all fairly nondescript little cubes that are, are, are cute but don't have much character you, you can spawn a bunch of them like 20 at the get start and they follow you around it's this really strange sensation of actually ordering them around though because you have you've got two buttons you've got pull dudes towards you but in a very small radius and you've got send the dudes around you out basically so you've got pull in and send out basically with very small radiuses for both of those so this is really interesting fascinating style of communication and ordering soldiers around in this game we mentioned games like warcraft starcraft those all had this very similarly zoomed out but it had this hand of god perspective where you can move around the map and order things and click on things there's, there's no limitation on moving around the map basically you you can control things on opposite sides simultaneously here it's very much a command of you you are you have your character you are moving around the map to order something you have to physically go to, to go to a spot to order that unit around to build that tower for example right that's right uh so in warcraft 3 your hero your commander is is essentially just a unit 
It's a great yeah. bespoke, you, powerful you unit. You as the player aren't playing that unit. That's just a unit that you are utilizing. <laughs> That's right. You, it's that god mode, just like you mentioned. Whereas in Minecraft Legends, the camera is tied and centered on the commander. And, and the commander, essentially you, end up feeling very generic because basically you're just a camera. Um, or, or a cursor, if you want to call it in another words. The the collect characters near you, I feel like you can only collect 10 uh, yeah, at a time. Something like that. You, you can increase that over time, but it's, again, it's, not, it's never clear. The UI doesn't really tell you clearly what your capabilities are. <laughs> right. And then the, and then the march, march near you feels like you can only really send them out about like five meters in front of you. Yeah, there which is another is option really to bizarre. charge, but again, that isn't particularly clear. You have to like hold down yeah. the other button to give you that other option. Did you uh, did you use con- uh, game control pad or did you use keyboard? I've tried on both. It, it definitely feels like it's designed for console first, but okay. with no yeah. real thought to how this game will function on PC. I really needed that. Like you mentioned a cur- that you play as a cursor. I really wanted a cursor in this game because everything. <laughs> if you're playing on PC, this feels incredibly clunky. <laughs> Yeah, I played exclusively on GamePad uh, because I I, I played uh, on Game Cloud on Steam Deck and and on console as well. And uh, you know, I figured you know some people will argue and say, "What are you doing, noob? You got to play RTS with uh, with <laughs> key- keyboard mouse or whatever." But I, I you know my opinion is you you make an official control scheme, you got to support that control scheme. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the I, I think it's smart how they did a couple of things. The left trigger is essentially for building, and the right trigger is for having a, a little bit more zoomed out um, command uh, architecture. So the camera is still centered on you, the commander, but you could sort of like zoom forward and then and send your, your commander out, but also give marching orders. And I think the two main controls are just just charge right it's literally called charge yeah and, and the other one is focus point. yeah yeah focus attack i actually didn't really get i didn't really understand the difference uh so i just exclusively use charge how about how about you yeah i i i because it's, it's it's the number of units we're working with it was it was very rarely any point that it was worth splitting your armies because right. you're only you only got twenty dudes, and if you send them out, if you split them up, then they're all just going to get killed, basically. Or you, you're either waiting for two groups to fight two different buildings, or you just it was always felt more efficient to just send one group as a zerg force and just do one yeah. thing at a time, especially just a with wave, the right? the delay with actually having to order things. Like if you're trying to manage two groups, you have to physically travel between those two spaces and constantly upgrade their orders. They destroy one building, you go back, reorder them to attack the next building. And so it always just felt more efficient to just do do the Zerg rush, just have one big force mowing through the the, the strongholds. And so, it, yeah, micromanaging the forces, it was, there was so many button presses to try and split them up in the first place. And then even if you do, it just became increasingly unwieldy. I thought maybe when you when you have when you increase the limit of, of soldiers you can have, it might be more worthwhile. But just with that, that la- the, the, the physical lag of having to move around to, to issue orders never really gave you much agency, I found. <laughs> I felt it really, really 
unintuitive and pretty darn frustrating, precisely what you mentioned. The call towards you only being able to sort of lasso like 10 units and the march forward only being able to move slightly in front of you was really frustrating. I found yeah, with the right, I, right trigger, you can actually control a larger number of units. I did realize that in the end. Uh, yeah. Bas- you can control basically all the units kind of near you on screen. I did desperately but, want to call everyone back to me because think they always get oh, like, yeah. you, you'll call in the radius, but then one or two will always be just outside, or they'll be behind a rock, and you, you inevitably leave them behind. So there really needs to be a button to just just call everyone back to me. <laughs> yeah, super frustrating. And you know, like maybe maybe we missed things. Like maybe later on when you play a little bit further, there's more tutorialization. And you know, like I, I played, I don't know, maybe six hours of this game maybe even a bit little bit more than that so i'm not saying i i gave it a long attempt but i did come back to it multiple times but uh, just the inability to set up hotkeys like you know number yeah, one go yeah. here number two go there having the inability yeah yeah the the inability to to set marching orders at a distance to quickly jump back to your base quickly build uh set up a build queue and then direct them to another destination it 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 just felt highly limiting and highly frustrating and it just stops you from actually having strategy right (laughs) there's there's no real option because of all these lags you've got no real option but just desert rush basically i found which i mean okay admittedly playing warcraft i do the zerg rush there too (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but th- it doesn't really give you the opportunity to feel clever in any way here. You're just constantly fighting against those those controls. Right. So there's, there's I guess there's three ways to play this. There's the main campaign, which I imagine you spent a lot of time in. Mostly, yes. Yeah. There's online, or I guess, I don't know if it's only online, but there's multiplayer, essentially. Well, it's always online. The game, the game is always online. You can't even pause this game when you're playing solo. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay, so we, we played a multiplayer once. We played a versus multiplayer game, yes. Versus multiplayer, right. We didn't do co-op, but I imagine co-op is going to be very similar to the campaign. Yes, yeah. You'll be uh, both man- in, sorry, in co-op, you're both managing one force. You're not have, you don't have your separate forces. You're just collectively managing one force. So you have the same units, but you're collectively managing the same number, which maybe then, you ha- because you can be fighting on two fronts, then maybe it is... Right better but yeah yeah, so better, yeah that's well, true we didn't play that <laughs> we did you play could, the versus mode right we did play the versus mode yeah i like what you suggested there that basically if you played cooperative like one person could can do the 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 base building and the other person could do like the offensive attacking and stuff so that could provide a bit more strategic depth mm-hmm. but the online multiplayer i think we didn't even finish our session did we no, I mean we played for like an hour and then we just so <laughs> to, to make it so in this you both have your own base that you you try you want to destroy the other your opponent's base but at the same time there are also the piglins uh, bases are scattered around the map and you need to, you need to destroy the piglin bases to get the resources to upgrade your base that you can then use to attack your opponent's base and on immediate. Like when I first started it, I actually quite enjoyed it. Like I, I, I don't have much appeal to inverses gameplay generally, but this actually had more friction because you're managing those two different 
priorities. You're trying to like simultaneously fight the piglin, fight off the piglins, and defend your base from both the piglins and your opponents. Like there's some really clashing priorities there that was that was quite dynamic in trying to balance. Right. But yeah, I enjoyed the versus multiplayer a lot more than the campaign a lot as well. Primarily because the main campaign has like zero like tension. You know, yeah, there's no there's friction zero, at all. Yeah. There's no, there, you basically, it's just like a sandbox. But if it's versus, you're playing against a human brain. So at least that part of it added some level of tension. But uh, there, there are other things that, that frustrated, uh, frustrated me. I think you're alluding to needing certain resources like uh, coal or diamonds or whatever they are. I forget what they are. To sort of upgrade into a tech tree, right? Because you yeah. can't not everything is accessible to you at the beginning. You sort of have to progress through this resource-gated tech tree, kind of like, you know, like your Age of Empires, uh, whereas in Age of Empires, you have to research. This one, you ha you have to gain access to resources. So that part yeah. is, is somewhat yeah. interesting, I guess. So, so yeah, you, you have quite a bit of options at the, at, the, at the outset to, like, which which resource do you want? Like, you can, you can add the uh, a building that will let you harvest diamond or coal or redstone and then each one of those will give you access to a new type of unit and so you have quite a lot of agency as to which uh units you want to focus on what technologies what defenses but within half an hour we both sort of hit this equilibrium point where at that point we both had, we all had the same upgrades and we've hit this equilibrium point where we both have the same technologies and we're just it's just this tug of war where it's just running against each other and because we can only control one set of units at a time I think it's even less. You can only control five units at a, at a time in versus, and so by the time you you run those five units over and start attacking and go get your other units, they're dead. <laughs> the first that are already dead. So yeah, we just ended up more of heads in the middle, right? <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like that scene from Superman is fighting versus Zod. And they're just shooting the laser beams at each other, and the laser beams are meeting at the <laughs> middle and dissipating. Felt uh -huh. exactly like that, like no movement whatsoever. And that's why I just had to like quit. Um, yeah. I don't know. You felt the same frustration. To, to be I did. fair, I, I believe that game mode can be played 4v4. Right. And if you have a group for that, I can see it much being much more dynamic. You can actually be fighting on again on multiple fronts. You can have someone managing your defenses, someone running out to fight piglins, two players running to try and sort of picket the 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 the, the opposing players' fortresses. So you have have a bit more options for strategy there. So I I really do feel like the only way of getting options in this game is having more players, <laughs> which is unfortunate for a for an, for an RTS game. But right, and oh. it's unfortunate that. Unlike a more seasoned RTS game like Warcraft or, or Starcraft, there aren't even different factions, are there? You're essentially no. just you're just just the humans, and you're sending out the same, you know, six type of mobs out at each other. Um, and I found it really hard to di even distinguish between what the types of mobs were and yeah, what their yeah. specialties were. So yeah, hard to read, hard to play pretty unintuitive and sad to say not a lot of fun it's a little disappointing yeah especially for a locally made game uh in a genre that i, I quite like i i don't know how much of this would be like were we eight years old maybe this game would play better but i i don't know how i mean on one hand i don't know how they would be able to find 
to, to, to figure this game out with how opaque some of it is. But I mean, if they figured out original Minecraft, I guess they're, I guess they're capable of anything. <laughs> you know what? I think they just should have gone back to the drawing board. They should have looked at Halo Wars. Halo mm. Wars, and, and I've only played one. I played quite a bit of Halo Wars 1 back in the day. None of Halo Wars 2, but that game controls well on a control pad. It All the units are readable. You know exactly what they're supposed to do. And the narrative is interesting and tightly woven to the level design. Uh, it just, everything about it is infinitely better than, than this iteration, which came out... 10 years later, so I don't really know how they screwed this one up. I, I, I will give them points for innovation. Like This is a very different way of treating an RTS game. That I don't like because RTSs have, very, have been quite formulaic for a long time, and this is breaking out of that mold. But to what end? I, I don't like it's innovation for innovation's sake. I don't know that it's really. <laughs> giving it, bringing anything new to the genre other than it's different. Yeah. I don't know if I'll give this one another shot. Maybe they'll pull out some interesting things down the road, but it's sort of it's sort of dead on arrival in my opinion. Yeah, if you and, have a, if you have a if you have a large group to play it with, if you have 10-year-olds, <laughs> maybe check it out. Otherwise, I yeah, I, I didn't find a, a lot of fun here. Right. Well, it looks nice. I'm going to mention just because I, I played it is the third way to play this game is um, I don't know what it, what it's actually called in oh, the gameplay, yes. but there's like there's like myths missions, or legends right? or something, myths or legends, something like that, and they're essentially downloadable like scenarios, right? Yeah, yeah. They they tweak the the core mechanics in some way, and I think there'll be one of those every month or so. Yeah, I downloaded the first one. I think the, maybe the only one that was available. And I actually kind of enjoyed it. I enjoyed it okay. more. I enjoyed it more well, than what, what the... What was the twist on, on the mechanics there? It wasn't really a twist other than the fact that <laughs> it was sort of a an enclosed scenario, like a level in an old school RTS. Uh, it was basically like you in the middle of a map, surrounded by three very, very close enemy bases and they were all sending waves of attackers at you but in a much more like speedy hmm. turn so of it condenses uh, play. the sort of experience down yeah okay. and i guess the stakes were higher the challenge was higher and they gave you access to all of the technology so i just felt like it was a more condensed sort of tense uh more difficult version of the game and that part was like maybe the littlest bit more interesting to me. So, and it sounds like it was an actual curated, crafted experience rather than just repeating the same procedurally generated action. Yeah, uh, it was, ad nauseum. It, was <laughs> it was a scenario built with the game design tools that were there, and I think it might have even had a really short intro cinematic. So, yeah, it's cute. I liked it. Um, that okay. was probably my favorite part of the single player version of the game. Okay. Well, I mean, and, and again, this game is on Game Pass. There's a, there's a few different ways you can play this. So if if you have Game Pass, no harm in in checking it out. Yeah, try it out just like this we did. Maybe you'd like it better, or maybe it would work for an RTS neophyte, or maybe someone that's slightly younger in age. Uh huh. Absolutely. Or just really likes Minecraft. There you <laughs> there, go. There are a lot of them out there. <laughs> for sure. There's Minecraft Legends for you. Another Minecraft-ish game. 
I, 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 it does actually just make me want to go back and play the original Minecraft some more. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like it's, I don't know, it's a mismatch. It's a mishmash, mismatch with that that license, you know? Hey, it, they're experimenting, it, they're doing something new rather than just repeating the same formula. Mm-hmm. I'll give them that at least. Maybe they'll be creative, like, map-making tools in the future. That could be cool. Yeah, sure. I hope Scenario they builder. Hopefully be a model that they can build upon. Nice. Okay. Well, uh, with that said and done, what are we talking about next episode? Uh, I think it was an online conversation we had on social, on Instagram or something. You mentioned that you had been playing uh, another Uwe Rosenberg game called Caverna, right? Yes. Yeah. And as I recall, I said, uh, I don't get that game. Please teach me, Daniel Sun, please. Uh, so um, I need to be taught that game and I need to give it a proper shake. So we're going to be talking about Uwe Rosenberg's uh, Caverna. Yeah, uh, not to, to spoil my thoughts, but that's a game I certainly struggled with in the past, but have revisited recently. With it, It's now on BGA. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm finding it quite fascinating. So we'll be talking about that next episode. And to address the, the, the 10-ton elephant-shaped divine beast in the room, we will be talking about Tears of the Kingdom, which is the game everyone has been playing right now. But we, I think we need a little bit of time to really soak that game in. There is a lot of content there. So we're going to give ourselves another uh, another month or so. And we'll be coming back to that for our next video game. Yeah, I promise you I will not finish that in a month. Just, just saying. <laughs> I'll give it a shake. Yes, so uh, next episode will be Caverna, uh, and then tentatively, Tears of the Kingdom after that. So if you have any questions or comments on this episode or the next, you can contact us on Twitter or at omnigamersclub at gmail.com. Yeah, it was great to get your feedback, Kyle. Thank you so much. I love hearing from from listeners. Uh, so let's keep that feedback coming. Yeah, we'd like we'd love for people to join the club to 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 play along with us. We'd like we'd like to explore some other options to make that easy for people to do so. Uh, if you have a game that you'd like us to cover, let us know. Uh, especially if it's on Game Pass. <laughs> That's right. So if you want to follow us on socials, we're at Omni Gamers. Uh, club on uh, twitter uh that's that thing's still happening for now <laughs> and where else are we at on uh on ye old web browser right yes yeah and you can find me at board game feast where i make sort of board game themes treats your game night i, I as, as we are currently recording i will be posting some treats i made for on mars for the last game i i cooked up some some treats for for the friends who came to, to play that so check that out on uh, my twitter or instagram that's board game feast yeah and you can uh, catch me at omnigamer mark on instagram i will be uh, posting J- japanese board game and video game related content for a while now even though i'm back <laughs> i'll be cracking open game boxes and showing off the the cool things that i found working through that uh that photo slideshow (laughs) oh there's so much so much i saw i can't even unfurl it all in this uh desk that i have here so uh keep on watching excellent okay well thanks for listening thank you mark absolutely and until next time uh have a balanced diet of gaming bye everyone bye bye